Hello everybody and welcome to the show. I am Natalie Millesno and you are listening to Seize the Day. Now joining me today is the author of A Quiet Person's Guide to Life and Work. He specializes in delivering talks and workshops, helping quiet folk grow in confidence. And he also helps organizations explore ways in which quiet individuals can find their voice at work. He also has a wicked accent. So please put your hands together for the fabulous Pete Mosley. Thank you very much indeed. Round of applause. Come on to the stage. Yeah, well, thank, thank you for the invitation. I'm really pleased to be here. It's, you know, it's such a delight. We were literally just saying before we started recording this, it's amazing how we get to see each other's lives on social media or, and we're aware of people through connected, you know, the, the folk that we share in common connections. And it's so nice to actually be able to have a conversation. And I've wanted to to chat to you for a while. Um, I know loads of people speak so highly of you. Mm. And I'm so interested in the kind of work that you do and the area that you focus in, and particularly in this the, the quiet world, shall we say, and what mm. that means. So, yeah, over to you, Pete. When you say, you know, when you talk about a quiet person's guide, what does that mean for you and how did that come to be? Well, I mean, part of it is because I'm a quiet person and I've I've wondered about myself and the way that I show up in the world for a very, very long time indeed. The other thing is that I notice in my work that people are quiet, but their quiet behavior isn't explained by introversion or extroversion or or other things in play. And I've realized over time that people are either quiet by nature or they become quiet in reaction to something that life has thrown at them. Or they, they're quiet in the moment, you know, and they go quiet in response to something and then they pop back up the energy scale again and they're, they're normal selves. And it's there are just so many factors in play. I find it, it's a fascinating topic. Um, I think there are certain aspects of it that put light bulbs on in people's heads when they realise what's really going on and that the traditional labels that we attach, such as introversion, extroversion, shy, socially anxious don't always fit um, what's required at the time. Yeah, it's so interesting you say that. I've been given this some thought. I, I mean, I read um, a lot of the stuff on your website and a, a talk that you did, a campus um, event. Really, I loved it. I thought it was really fascinating. And what you just said there as well, whether or not it's a quiet behaviour or if it's a reaction to things. And sometimes labels are an amazing an amazing thing if it gives folk a sense of belonging and community and enables people to find who they are or I hadn't considered that for myself. And equally, what I heard you touch on there is that sometimes it cannot be a true representation of what's really going on for an individual. Yeah. And how yeah. did how did you do, kind of work through that? Because I know you've you've spoken to lots of people over the years, haven't you? Because you've been doing this for years, right? Yeah, I mean the as I said earlier on, I've always wondered about why my behaviour seemed to be slightly different to everyone else's. Say, and you know, other folks were going off to party party after a conference, and I just wanted to go and lie down and be in a darkened room and kind of questioning that stuff. And then later in life, I I think I was in my 40s, perhaps, when I first did a Myers-Briggs personality profile, and I came out as an INFJT, which is possibly the most introverted that anyone on the planet can be, if you believe Myers-Briggs. 
Um, and I thought, wow, that explains everything. How wonderful. And I kind of slapped it on myself like a label and went around saying, look at me, I'm an INFJT, that explains everything. But it didn't. You know, there were other behaviours and other ways of bits of discomfort and ways of showing up in the world that clearly weren't explained by me just being introverted. And it was later on um, when I decided to do some therapy, you know, proper psychotherapy, because mm. I was still a bit, I didn't know what the what was joining the dots, really. Um, that finally the picture came together and I realised that I'd been living my adult life w with aspects of complex PTSD and I didn't know. Mm. And nobody that I'd spoken to along the way could see the whole picture, therefore were not able to help me. It was only when I got in front of a specialist that they went, yeah, that's what that is. That's what's making all those things happen. Right. Which, of course, blew my my INFJ badge out of the water, really, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there's a bit of introversion. There's a bit of trauma. Um, there, there's a bit of just a person that needs loads of space and time because of my brain chemistry. All sorts of things going on. Um, and, and that's what got me off on the track, seriously, of thinking about quiet as a topic for my books and as my niche in, in the coaching and uh, professional development world. I, lo I absolutely love that. A lived experience, exploring that, learning about yourself. And as you've carried on now and what you're sharing and what you're helping others with is to appreciate who we are as the individuals that we are, the really unique individuals that we are, and that the importance of perhaps paying attention as well. I mean, we talk about this a lot in the coaching world anyway, in the active listening and really, you know, being there for somebody. We are all unique. We do all show up with different challenges or different experiences, different things that have happened to us that have affected key things, albeit we might have a strong extroversion using that label or introversion. However, a lot of other things add to perhaps complex dynamics. Mm -hmm. How did it help you, you know, noticing this perhaps or coming to more realisation in your 40s, how did it help you then start to navigate life? Um, that's a, it's a really, really good question. The first thing was that I got a coherent understanding of why I was the way I was in the world. Because I think when you're a quiet person and you don't understand your unique nature, and we are all unique, Mm. quiet and introvert alike we are all absolutely unique you have this uneasy sense a sense of being unsettled and and that you want to do something about it but you don't know where to begin i think there's there's that stuff then accompanying that there are all the kind of internal voices rattling around in your head that say you know why are you this way why do people keep kind of commenting on how you behave why are folk constantly pressing you to join in when actually you want to do is just sit in the corner and read a book, you know? Um, so that's interesting. And then, of course, there's, there's everyone else's voice. And this happens a lot in the workplace. Judgments get made about quieter people. A, a, a broad judgment that they're probably an introvert if they're quiet. Um, other judgments like, you know, why don't you just speak up? or if a decision flies past too fast for you, it's your own fault for not speaking up. Mm -hmm. You know, don't come back feeling frustrated because you didn't speak up at the time. Of course, it's got nothing to do with speaking up at the time. It's the fact that the quiet person had not yet finished thinking 
mm. about the decision and probably the meeting was over and the decision had been made before they've thought about it properly. It might even be the next day before they come up with the answer, which might incidentally be a better answer than the one that the meeting came up right, with. Right, yeah. They, they've had the luxury of the time to think about it. And other people's voices get you down. Uh, um, I've spoken to somebody on a series of workshops I'm running for a large institution, which I can't name. Um, one person who came in one of my workshops said she'd been sent on assertiveness training five times oh. in her career. Not not asked, sent, you know, no negotiation about whether it was the appropriate thing for her or not. So these judgments get made, managers and leaders think they've got the answer, they don't do the consultation, they just think they've got an answer, and then they impose the solution and then wonder why nothing works and things start falling apart. Um, this is not about introverts versus extroverts, by the mm. way. It's about creating a safe container within which everybody can give their best and get the best from everybody else. So I'm not trying to start kind of internecine warfare between quiet people and noisy people. It's just not about that at all. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you and hear you there as well. It's that inclusion piece, isn't it? It's the diversity inclusion and actually what makes us thrive better and be more organized. And as you quite rightly, wonderfully pointed out, when we take time as well, even those of us who might work at a faster pace, when we take time, we can often get to a better answer anyway. Yeah. So it's about having that complete diversity and inclusion, not making assumptions, speaking to and listening to somebody to understand what mm. their needs are. And I wrote down here with uh, what you were saying there, what came to mind, the world operates at a really fast pace. And mm. arguably, I feel it's got faster since the pandemic. I kind of yeah. hoped it would slow down, <laughs> but it feels <laughs> like it's got faster. Yeah. So naturally, business doesn't lend itself or tend to any individuals who might be quieter, who mm. might operate on a, on a slower basis. How would you speak to businesses and perhaps individuals? It might be two things you might want to answer here. How do you speak to businesses and individuals to help them, A, identify in the business how they need to work better with everybody? And mm. B, if you're a quiet individual and you, you're being left out, you're not being listened to, things are passing you by, what do they need to do? Well, I mean, the first thing is to to understand the statistics, really. I mean, between 45 and 55% of the population are introverted or, or for to one extent or another. And then you've got this whole layer below of all the people that are then quiet for loads of different reasons, right. like uh, grief and stress and money worries and uh, persistent pain. And, you know, there's so many people, that just things that cause people to go quiet. Um, then there's institutionalized stuff like... In Susan Cain's wonderful book, Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking, she actually reflects back on decisions that were made at the Ivy League universities in the States in the 20s mm. about only recruiting extroverts because they were deemed to be better for the business community. And that's hung, the echoes of that, you know, they're still around. Mm. And it is introvert, extroverts that get rewarded more and they get the, the, the higher paid jobs because they're seen to be quicker off the ball and making decisions faster mm. um, and the introverts don't. And then there's the language. If you go to the dictionary and look up definitions of introvert and extrovert, um, there's a real difference in the positivity of the language that's used. Like 
language applied to extroverts is always positive. Life yeah. and soul of the party, gregarious, you know, right. happy-go-lucky, you know, on the ball, everything. And then when you look at the language as applied to quieter people, like wallflower, away with the fairies, you know, all of that, you know, doesn't speak up. Yeah. And that's institutionalised as well. So we're, we're working against this kind of sandbank of stuff that's been around for generations, frankly. Um, and that's just on, on a kind of academic perception of what was thought to be best at the time. It is changing. You know, yeah. big corporations are changing in the way that they look, not just at introversion and extroversion, but also inclusivity and, and just how powerful the minds of a broader range of, of diverse people can you know, that range of minds can bring tremendous benefits to a company if the space mm. is created to contain the the requirements um, of, of those people. So it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, and then, of course, there's all the stuff about genetics. You know, we inherit our social energy. It's expressed through the genes. If you have quieter parents or grandparents, there's an element of that comes through to you. Right. Where you're born in your family it can affect your social energy and the instructions that you're given as children. You know, I was brought up in a kind of Victorian style household with a very elderly granny who wore black and jet beads and was like she was in mourning all the time. And it was children are seen but not heard in this mm. household. So you get programmed, don't you? Mm. You know, up until the age of eight or 10 before you start finding your own way around. So there's so many things that conspire to creating the way that we show up in the world. And I mean, that's true for extroverts and introverts, that they're all affected by the same things. But most people don't realize this. They don't understand all of the things that are in play that create a situation where some people are less socially energetic than others. And that's before the neuroscience starts kicking in mm. and you then realise what's actually going on. It's wonderful to hear you talk about that. It's captivating as well. And hearing you speak to the, the, fa the, fa let me get, yeah, let me get my, my words out, the family theme as well. Mm. I can see that in my own house because, you know, let's talk about assumptions here. Folk might assume I'm quite extroverted, extroverted, because I, I, you know, I can do this. I enjoy being involved with people and having conversation. That's not to say I don't get terrified when I do public speaking. Mm. That's not to say if I haven't been podcasting for a while, the nerves, you know, will always mm. be there for doing something. That's not to say that I am not physically exhausted after doing things sometimes. Most of the time I get my energy from people. Mm. However, there are occasions where I'm I now need to go in a darker room. I need mm -hmm. to be on my own and I really need that time. Yeah. And, it, you know, it happens for, for different reasons at, on different occasions. I, my, my family home, my father is incredibly, I would say, extroverted. And what's driven that is he couldn't hear when he was younger. Well, he mm -hmm. can't hear now. He's, he, he can't hear. He's deaf in one ear. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, and he overcompensated mm -hmm. because of that as he was growing up, because yeah. he couldn't hear what people were saying that's how he's evolved and that's how he's yeah. and that's how he survived yeah. one might say and then as a result our house becomes quite loud and quite energetic so mm. you you know i really appreciate what you said about the family yeah. connection 
Yeah. And it begins to unpick. We're, we're sold this idea that extroversion and introversion are on a linear scale, a straight line between them with, with ambiversion kind of sliding mm. up and down in the middle, which is supposed to explain why some people are one thing at one time and another at another. Um, I'm the kind of opposite of you. I'll happily get up and talk to 200 people live because that's my happy place or right. do things like this. But put me at the corner of a dinner table with somebody that I don't know, and I just freeze. You know, I clam up. Right. I, I have to. I have to take notes written on my sleeve, pretty much. Oh, to, I love to that. Things to to think about. Um. So that's interesting, isn't it? And the truth of the matter is that whether you're introvert or extrovert, you show up most effectively in the place where you feel safe, where you mm -hmm. feel supported where you feel you've got the approval of other people, um, where you're getting the kind of resources and the the nutrients in your life that enable you to do that thing. And yet the same character in another setting where those things don't coexist will just be relatively mute. Mm. We It's a scattergraph. It's not a line, you know. That's really interesting, actually. It makes total sense. It's the, and again, this goes back to community. This goes back to listening. This goes back to inclusion. This goes back to feeling a sense of belonging, you know, and mm -hmm. how we allow folk to integrate within the space we're all occupying. Mm -hmm. When you feel safe, you'll be more inclined to speak up or open up that psychological, psychological yeah. safety aspect. When we don't experience that, we're quieter. Yeah. And you can literally move one person from each setting and yeah. see how you yeah, experiment on that, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you could. It's it's to do with, it's the same thing as constellations work. Um, if you're a quiet person and you're in a meeting where you feel supported, there's maybe one person in the room that you feel is your support, you'll be much more confident with them in the room. If they get called away and leave the room, your confidence level drops because the constellation of, of support has changed mm. and you, you're back on rocky ground again. I mean, I can talk more about ways of compensating for that later on. But it just takes a subtle shift for psychological safety to evaporate, um, and then you're in a different ballgame altogether. Absolutely. So someone who's listening to this, who's picked up on several of the things that you've said and identifies as being perhaps a, a more quiet person, mm -hmm. struggles perhaps in life, personally maybe, or in the in the workplace, and wants to wants to be seen, how do they go about doing that? Mm, well, not not <laughs> by not going magic on one for everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not by going on a public speaking course or a, no. or a an assertiveness course. Oh crikey! There, there's all sorts of things, really. There's a lovely um, thing that a quiet person can do. Um, it's very rare that a quiet person is alone with their particular set of values within a team. There will always be more socially energetic that share those values, that share those viewpoints. And they can be a great support to a quiet person. So there's a term I use in the book called amplifiers. And an amplifier is a person with a different type of social energy to you that you can call on to support you when mm. you need it. So, for instance, a person that's just beginning to train themselves to speak up in meetings. And the lovely story that goes with this is, is um, talking to the more energetic person who's got much more confidence and saying, I'd really like to introduce the topic today. Now, I know at some point I'm going to run out of energy. You'll notice that I'll have a pen on the table beside me. 
And if you see me pick the pen up and start fiddling with it, it's a signal to you that I'm my energy dropping or I'm losing my confidence. At that point, can you step in and take over the topic until you see me put the pen down again? And then you'll know I'm ready to start speaking again. So you get you can manufacture support mm-hmm. for yourself in really subtle ways to help you just train. It's This is not fake it till you make it stuff. This is proper mm-hmm. step-by-step confidence building I'm talking about here. So quiet people can collaborate with each other. So there's, it's not just one voice in the room, but they can also collaborate with more socially energized people to, to begin to make their point and actually learn uh, natural, in a natural way how to boost their confidence and go with the rules of the, the meeting room. That's magic. It that's that's a real. I mean, you could apply that in many situations as well. It's allyship as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really being there for one yeah. another and recognize it's a reaching out to somebody, and it takes an element of confidence and comfort to do that anyway. To to make those connections. Yeah. Sorry, you'll notice that extroverts do that between themselves all the time. It's just mm. we don't notice it, but they are doing that all the time. Give us an example. Well, I mean, people who habitually, you know, one person will speak up and then another noisy person will speak up and go, yeah, yeah, they're <laughs> yeah, right, okay. you know, yeah. you know, or, or you know, uh, yeah, I feel the same, you know, and <laughs> it, it just happens naturally because they've both got the confidence just to burst in and, and say what it yeah, is. Yeah, okay. Know. I see that. I like that a lot. But, it's, you know, it's observing behaviours as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's paying attention to how people behave. Yeah, you mentioned about constellations earlier and yeah. when that, you know, that support function is perhaps not in the room. How mm. does somebody deal with that scenario? Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. Um, there's a lot that, that line managers can do or team leaders can do to more fully understand why it is that somebody's a quiet person and what the factors are underneath that and stop making assumptions about you know, what's causing the quietness in the first place. But the thing that a quiet person needs most of is time. And and you can give the gift of time, and with time you can solve most of the problems. The problem is that the business environment is built for speed, and it's counterintuitive for leaders to say, let's take more time to do this. So if you supply a quieter person with information before the meeting, or allow them to table their information before the meeting to support them while they present that view in the meeting. And then, crucially, not to take the decision in the meeting, but to allow thinking time afterwards before you collectively take a decision. Having heard all of the voices, you'll end up with a better decision. Mm. So you start proposing that to, to people and they go, no, 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 that's going to take far too much time, you know. My counter argument to that is, well, if you don't do that, how much time are you going to spend clearing up the mess that's left by a decision that only 40% or 50% of your people were involved in or felt they had a say in? You know, Brenny Brown has a wonderful saying, I can't quote it verbatim, but if managers and leaders don't invest the time up front, they end up with a hugely unreasonable amount of time later messing mm-hmm. up, you know, clearing up the mess that's caused by not properly listening to people and taking their uh, basically inclusion requirements on board. Yeah. And more often than not as well, I mean, I'm broad brushing here too. So I'll broad brush. 
there are many instances where somebody who feels comfortable to speak up and has that confidence to do so does not have the answers. Yeah. And equally, they might have a level of, they might lack confidence internally anyway, that they mm. feel they have to have the answers. So they fill the space as well. Yeah. And I mean, it's a, in in deference to people that jump in with answers, it's their brain that's doing that. They're not a bad person. But, Absolutely. you know, you, your brain's not built for thinking. Your brain's built to keep your system in balance. And as soon as a question arises or an, a moment of uncertainty arises, your brain go, reads that as stress and it just wants to do whatever it will do to shut it down. And the, the easiest way to do that is to make a decision or jump in with an opinion. And then you, your brain goes, yeah, you've done something about that now. You, you know, there you go. Meanwhile, a quieter person's brain is still going, yeah, I need more time, I need more time, I need more time, that's not enough time. Oops, the decision has been made, you know. Um, it's interesting. So we can't we can't go around assailing more socially energized people for being how they are. It's part of their chemistry, it's part of their makeup, it's part of the way the brain responds to what it, it sees as a stressor in the room. Absolutely. Mm. And equally le lends into the point that you made earlier that there mm. is benefit in having that lag in taking the time yeah. to make sure you get everybody's viewpoint in wherever yeah. it might be to support. Yeah. I was just thinking you're, you've written a couple of books, mm -hmm. um, the quiet person's guide and how to shout quietly. Is that the right? If I said it right, the art of shouting I love that. I think it's brilliant. What are they about? Again, for someone who's curious, who be, might be listening to this, this is their their opportunity now. They want to learn a bit more, shout mm. about themselves, you know, in, in the quiet yeah. way. And what are your two books about? Okay, well, just briefly, The Art of Shouting Quietly is a guide to self-promotion for introverts and other quiet souls. And the, the other quiet souls is a really important part of that title because it deals with all the other folk. Um, that don't come under the broad brush or label of introversion. Um, and that's just about, you know, how do you communicate more effectively if, you, if you're a quieter soul? The latest one, which is it's published on Kindle, but not yet in paperback, which is the, the Quiet Person's Guide, A Quiet Person's Guide to, to Life and Work, um, is for quiet people. It's for the people that lead and manage quiet people, and it's for people for people that live with and love quiet people. So it's it's a broader audience. It's there to help quiet people understand their own quiet. It's there to help people understand how you can organize the workplace and culture better to include quieter people. But it also digs into more of the kind of neuroscience and the, the kind of chemical and behavioral building blocks that exist that influence somebody's energy in the workplace. And, that's the bit that most people don't know much about and it's an emerging science and people keep changing their mind about it, but I've had a go at summarizing it uh, and I'll do that here if that's what you'd like me to do. If you don't mind, that would be wonderful. Uh -huh. Just as a, a little excerpt or a little kind yeah. of summary of it. Yeah. I mean, over the decades we've, we've done very well by applying labels to all the things that we don't understand about the brain. Um, and giving different parts of the brain labels, you know, and, and saying, well, this definitely happens in this bit and this definitely happens in this bit. And it it's not quite the way that it works. You know, we're, we're all wired really differently. Um, we're all given 
uh, at birth, really, this kind of batch of neurotransmitters, you know, they include things like dopamine and acetylcholine and serotonin and oxytocin and all the rest of it. And they all play different parts. I'm kind of speaking metaphorically here. But the two main ones to do with the, with the rapidity of thought processing are dopamine and acetylcholine. So people that make rapid decisions, um, their dopamine receptors aren't quite as highly tuned as most people. So they need more dopamine to keep that reward system going. So they're consistently always doing things that are energetic, like making rapid decisions or going out to party after the conference or whatever, because they just need that constant supply of dopamine. On the other hand, um, people who have uh, kind of more sensitive acetylcholine receptors, they're hungry for the acetylcholine. Now, that reward system is triggered by things like taking time, meditating, being quiet, pondering, thinking slowing, slowly, being in nature, having quiet time on your own, all of that stuff. And because it's a slower process, processor and the effect of acetylcholine, it's a neuromodulator, so it slows the thinking process down and visits, there are graphs that show this, it visits many more areas of the brain and therefore builds, it creates bigger neural networks in response to any one trigger or question, thereby slowing the processing time, but accessing lots of other things like, you know, memory and emotion and comparison and all the rest of it, that means you get the more considered thinking coming out the other end. Now, I do have to add the caveat that that's metaphorical thinking that is backed up by neuroscience, but you, you'll find stuff all over the internet now about those two things in particular and how they apply to introverts and extroverts. I think when people get the handle of that and go, oh my goodness me, it's chemistry, you know, um, it's not because this is a bad person and this is a good person or because this person never says anything and this person can't be stopped from talking. It's the hand of, of chemicals, you know, and the way that your brains work um, that result in in that happening. Do you know, it's making me beam with a smile here. I love how you delivered that. And folks, you're in for a treat when you read this book. We're, we're energy at the end of the day. We're atomic particles. It's chemistry. It literally is biology and chemistry, mm -hmm. how we operate. And it is all about that. It's not taking things at face value. It's recognizing everybody for the individual that they are mm -hmm. and taking, allowing each of us to take up the time and space that we deserve and shining the light on each individual for what they can mm -hmm. bring to the table and who we are yeah. and just allowing folk to be. Yeah. And then the beauty that comes from that, the celebration of thought, the celebration of creativity and how we can, you know, do different things in the world. It mm -hmm. will be quite magic. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. This has been beautiful. I can't thank you enough. What a lovely way to spend Thursday <laughs> afternoon. And the sun is so shy. I have to say, I've had to close the curtain in my room because the sun is shining so brightly. How weird does that mm. say that it's obscuring me seeing? Uh, wow. <laughs> Who would ever wow. think it's a beautiful day? Pete, thank you so much. Really, really, really lovely. Closing out, what's important that we haven't had the opportunity to discuss? I think as a as an end comment, there's a question that I like to ask quiet people is, are you happy with your quiet self? You know, if you're happy in your quiet self, you have every blooming right to be. 
and you have every right to take the time to have quiet time to just sit scratching your head or whatever it is you need to do just to be yourself and without anybody else breathing down your neck. If you're unhappy with your quiet self, that may be a signal that you want something to change. You know, maybe something happened to you as things happened to me and you need to address that. Notice what's going on and act appropriately. But if, if you're happy and content with your uh, solitude, there's a band of people that I call intronauts. Intronauts love just <laughs> love sitting, ex exploring the world in the comfort of their very own brain. Um, uh, and, and uh, you know, you can be proud of that. Just live it out. It's a fantastic thing. People only benefit from having intronauts in the world. Oh, what a great question as well. I, I love that. Thank you so much. What a great thought and question to be asking yourself at the end of this podcast. This has been beautiful. Honestly, I'm so grateful for you. I appreciate you and the time you've taken to speak with me. Um, I have no doubt listeners will take a huge amount from this. There's your books that they can pick up on. Where else can folk find you, Pete, if they want to extend this conversation or, you know, c come and explore what you're up to? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose LinkedIn is the easiest place to find me because, you know, that's my one of my happy places. I, I post on Instagram and, and Twitter now and again, but um, the conversations really happen on uh, LinkedIn. And if anybody's interested in exploring the kind of talks and workshops that I do on a regular basis, find me there. You know, that's the easiest place. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me, Pete. It really has been a pleasure. It, yeah, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care. Look after yourself. Keep well. You have been listening to Seize the Day with Natalie Miller-Snell. If you've enjoyed this show, please head over to seizetheday.simplecast.com for all of my other shows. If you're interested to hear more about coaching, please visit nmscoaching.co.uk. If you'd like to chew the fat over some of the topics in these podcasts, please come and join me at my Facebook group, Dare to Be You. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening. <laughs>